Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. What we have now is indictment number four. This is, well, this is getting silly. Except this Georgia indictment, which is being treated as as a, a RICO case. It's a racketeering case. Giuliani being charged in a RICO case has incredible amounts of irony to it. If you know his history in New York. But this DA, Fannie Williams, is going to try 19 defendants together. Does that mean that if she can get something on someone, that's what's going to do in Trump? What is the desperation to get Trump at this stage of the game with four indictments in four different places? But what about the other side of the coin? Exactly what is in this indictment? How is it different from the January 6th or the Alvin Bragg indictments? Well, one of the ways is that those indictments are about stretching the law to match going after the guy. In this, there's a story. Question is, is that story criminal? Guys, welcome to the show. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Good to be with you. I bring in William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor in the Mind Behind LegalInsurrection.com. Um, you, you, they threw the kitchen sink at this mother, sir. They threw the kitchen sink at President Trump, at Giuliani, at Jenna Ellis, at the former chief of staff, uh, Mark Meadows, at Trump's personal lawyer, John Eastman, who was trying to come up with strategies, ideas, and thoughts, no matter how outrageous you may think they were, uh, about uh, ways Trump can challenge what he thought was a wrongdoing in this election. Break it down for me. What do you see in this case from Georgia, what are they utilizing as uh, their their evidence here? And it, it just as an, uh, in the big overview, how does this differ from, say, the January 6th indictment from special counsel Jack Smith? Yeah, those are a lot of questions. I mean, the Georgia case is throwing the kitchen sink at Trump and over a dozen other people. Uh, that it's kind of a shock and awe strategy from the local district attorney in Atlanta. And it's actually very troubling. Uh, you know, I think that of all the indictments, this is the one that smells the worst to me. This is so openly political. This is so very much trying to criminalize politics, criminalize legal practice, etc. Now it's a 90, almost a hundred page indictment. and haven't committed it to memory, but I have read it. And there are some discrete acts there, which are really not attributable to Trump, uh, such as allegedly impersonating a public official, things like that. Put those aside. Those could have been charged separately. But essentially what they've done is they've weaved together a story taking a lot of perfectly lawful actions and calling it a conspiracy and a racketeering uh, offense. And it's very troubling because it's very chilling. Uh, so John Eastman had theories which I didn't accept at the time. Most people didn't accept, but you know what? That's what lawyers do. Lawyers try to come up with innovative ways to achieve the result for their clients. Same with Jenna Ellis. Uh, there were um, attempts made to influence political actors to go along with Trump. 
but that's not illegal. That happens all the time. People talk to people to try to convince them. And in this case, nobody was convinced of anything. Uh, there was no end result there. So it, it's extremely troubling that she threw so much at so many people. It appears that it's an attempt to take down you know, the entire Trump movement as opposed to uh, what the federal charge is, which is only against Trump, relatively narrow compared to this, and really focusing on specific uh, items and specific actions. And so, so what do you, it's just troubling. What do you make of, uh, you know, one of the things that I thought was interesting as people have described this indictment is that certainly in, on January 6th, you had to take the actions of Trump and try and stretch them to reach where there is some possible illegality, or you have to take the law and try and stretch it to connect to Trump. We take a look at Alvin Bragg in New York. You had to stretch what the law was to be able to get to a felony to then be able to get Trump, and it's very Beria in, in, in that sense. You know, the leader of Stalin's secret police, show me the man and I'll show you the crime. That's what Jack Smith seems to be doing in Washington uh, in, with, as special counsel. That seems to be what Alvin Bragg, the district attorney, seems to be doing in New York. In Georgia, they do have phone calls. They do have text messages. So in, 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 there's this argument that there is something different in this indictment in that it's not based on a stretch. It's based on the things that actually happened. Do you have that same take? Well, the federal indictment in D.C. says they have text messages and says they have emails and says they have recordings and they have conversations. So what is the difference? What is the, There's really no meaningful difference other than in Georgia, there are some, like I said, discrete alleged crimes, impersonating an officer, somehow trying to gain improper access to a computer system. Whether those are proven is a different story. But uh, so that does make Georgia difference. But the core claim of a quote unquote conspiracy to overturn the election is really the same in Georgia as it is in the D.C. lawsuit. So you're going to have two different jurisdictions, one state, one federal, prosecuting essentially the same crime that is permitted because they're different jurisdictions. They're different um you know, entities, you can have a state crime and a federal crime and they can be prosecuted separately, but it's piling on. I mean, I think that's what it is. If Trump is proven to have unlawfully attempted to overturn the election, as opposed to lawfully, remember, there are many things that you can do that are lawful to overturn an election. You can challenge them in court, but those court challenges are now part of this indictment. You can challenge them by talking to officials and trying to convince them that they're wrong. That's not illegal, but that's part of this indictment. There's even congressional procedures that you can use to challenge electors. So my concern here is that it's a total piling on for political purposes. Now, that is not a defense of Trump's conduct. I mean, two things can be right at the same time. One is that his conduct was indefensible after his court remedies were exhausted. And I wrote that at Legal Insurrection in mid-December of, of 2020, that it was time to move on towards the next election. So you can condemn his conduct, his obsession, and his false statements about the voter fraud or the voting fraud, uh, and at the same time say they weren't necessarily criminal. And you can't loop in the legal advice he got, 
You can't loop in the you know political arguments he was making and make it a crime. Now let's uh, get into what some of this in indictment uh, says. This right here, uh, the reporting was from the New York Post. The defendants, 30 unindicted co-conspirators and others known and unknown uh, to the grand jury constituted a criminal organization whose members and associates engaged in false statements and writings, impersonating a public officer, forgery, filing false documents, influencing witnesses, computer theft, computer trespass, computer invasion of privacy, conspiracy to defraud the state, acts involving theft and perjury. My God, when we say through the kitchen sink, Adam William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com, that's the kitchen sink. My point earlier about, you know, they may actually have some things because there were phone calls, because there were text messages, is that this seems to be the Hail Mary play, throw everything out there and hopefully grab Trump on one thing. And since you're going after all 19 at the same time under this racketeering rule in Georgia, the, the RICO predicate is I know uh, how, to, how to say it, um, maybe you could just grab someone somewhere and therefore take Trump down. So, so two things. What is this about everybody being charged together? Because Fannie Williams, the DA there, has said, yes, she's trying everybody at the same time. And is it the kind of situation utilizing that RICO statement, those racketeering statutes, that if they get one, they get everybody? Well, you know, it's not only the 19 people or 18 people who've been charged. It's, as you say, up to 30 additional people, potentially. This reminds me very much of the John Doe investigations in Wisconsin, where they essentially froze for the better part of a year a Democrat prosecutor. Uh, the entire conservative movement in Wisconsin, because they not only went after people, they instilled such fear in throughout the conservative movement, and nobody ended up getting convicted of anything. But it was a political ploy. And that's what this smells like. Uh, naming 18 people plus 30 potential more uh, seems like an attempt to freeze the Republican Party that, you know, you don't know if you're one of those 30 people. You don't know if the person you're talking to is one of those 30 people. So that's why this smells so bad to me. This looks like an attempt to take down a political party. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm going to interrupt you. I never interrupt you. Go back over that again. You're sure. saying that there are, un she, I think the term utilized is unindicted co-conspirators. Right. And you're saying that the number out there, There's. I, I don't know what the number is. You can hit it again. You don't know who it is. You don't know who it could be. So therefore, everybody's going to think that everybody's the unindicted co-conspirator. So they're not going to be able to work together because then Fannie Williams, the DA there in Fulton County, could go after them. Yeah. And, and that's what happened in Wisconsin with what was called the John Doe investigations. I think it was about three years ago. I might be off on the number of years ago, but it wasn't that long ago, three to four years ago, where they essentially froze the entire conservative movement by subpoenaing and raiding the homes of, uh, you know, conservative activists under this John Doe law, which has since been revised dramatically. It was actually thrown out by the Wisconsin Supreme Court, but they froze the whole movement. And so this uh, suggests to me, unlike some of the others, that this is an attempt to freeze 
the Republican Party, to, or at least the half of the Republican Party that supports Donald Trump, that um, that half of the party now has to wonder if the person they're talking to and communicating with is having their communications monitored because they're one of these unindicted co-conspirators. So it's a, it's a very, to, to do something this broad with this many people, to me, doesn't smack that you're trying to actually prosecute somebody. See. If somebody broke into a computer system, they could have been separately charged. They could have been charged two years ago. You know, if somebody impersonated an offer, officer, they could have been separately charged. I'm not excusing those crimes. What I'm saying is to wrap them into this huge bundle and to put so many people into it and to have unindicted co-conspirators, uh, to me, looks like they're trying to freeze the half of the Republican Party that supports Donald Trump. Talking to William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com. Uh, so in a way, I, I did have the basic understanding. If they can get one, they can get everybody. And if they can get a jury to say, yeah, that guy did something, therefore everybody's guilty of everything, correct? Exactly. And that's the whole, whole point here, that um, if you are in any conspiracy, and RICO is essentially at its core, a conspiracy statute, that anyone who furthers the efforts of the conspiracy, even if what you did yourself was not illegal, could be held for the criminal conspiracy. And, that, and that's what they're trying to do by lumping so many people in. They're taking what for particular individuals might be very weak factual bases. They allege they're part of this criminal enterprise. Uh, now, what they've pleaded for a criminal enterprise wouldn't survive in federal court, I don't believe, but apparently Georgia has more lenient uh, standards when it comes to their RICO statute. And this, and this is this is where the, the rubber meets the road, because your your breakdown, I accept. I, I, I there were some things I didn't wasn't hundred percent sure of, and I think you you explained it well, and and I very often defer to you and, and and your view of these things, which don't come from a political basis, even though you've got political thoughts and feelings, it comes from here's what it says, here's what it looks like. Because this is Georgia, because this is not a federal indictment, and because this is nothing like the Alvin Bragg case in New York, can Trump avoid jail time or... Is this one that puts Trump in jail? I think they're going to try and put Trump in jail uh, from the indictment from Jack Smith, the special counsel. This in Georgia. Do you think Trump's going to go to jail for this? Well, if he's convicted and, and that we're a ways away from that, uh, you know, if he is convicted, as I understand Georgia law, uh, we're all becoming experts on Georgia law very quickly, is that there are mandatory minimum sentences under the RICO statute. Um, and that they can't be pardoned by the governor, uh, that uh, you'd have to go through a commission there, a pardon commission, and you have to serve a certain percentage of your time. So it does, and it can't be pardoned by the president of the United States. So, you know, Alvin Bragg um, is a completely garbage indictment. I think everybody knows that. Um, this one, if it goes through, it will have to survive the Georgia court system. Uh, and I think the U.S. Supreme Court would take a case involving this state RICO statute, although the Supreme Court doesn't won't interpret state law. Um, it will see whether any federal rights have been violated. And what I think is, if I had one overall take on what's happening, 
is how outrageous it is that local prosecutors can involve themselves in charging crimes in federal elections when you've already got the Department of Justice doing the same thing. This looks like, uh, you know, Georgia is trying to create a backstop that if for some reason the federal suit against Trump fails, that Georgia will be waiting there as a second shot at him. My conversation with William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, LegalInsurrection.com, continues because he said something there that I couldn't believe. Um, You can't pardon? Well, now we're talking about the difference between state law and federal law. And what is Trump's defense? I will share that with you coming up. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today. Well, you know, Americans know best, I think, about their own personal finances. And it is important to recognize that when they're asked how are they personally doing, over 70% of Americans um, say that they're very comfortable with their financial situation. So they seem to perceive the economy uh, as a whole as doing less well than they are personally. But yet. You think you're doing fine. You're paying more for everything under the sun. And Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, wants you to know that you think you're doing great. She wants all the world to know that Bidenomics has touched every corner of the country and is making things wonderful. While she's saying this, you've got Neil Kashkari, who is the president of the Minneapolis Federal Reserve. He wants to get tougher on regional banks. He wants to increase the capital requirements. He doesn't believe that the $100 billion in assets goes far enough. I think it's a step in the right direction, but I would like to go significantly further. You already have the credit crunch. You already have situations where people aren't lending. Here's the home builder sentiment as just out maybe like a couple hours ago. Builder sentiment dropped six points to 50 in August. Anything over 50 is considered positive. We are now at meh, mid, as the kids would say. Mortgage rates are now at 7.24% for a 30-year fixed. Historically, an average interest rate. Comparatively speaking, People can't afford houses unless they have cash. They had to have sold their house in California and moved to Indiana in order to be able to afford that house. So you've got a a, uh, housing industry that's looking down. You've got the Federal Reserve saying, we got to make sure these regional banks can handle their business because things are going to get rough, which is going to put pressure on the stock on uh, those kinds of banks. Maybe that's why the Dow is down 293. But sure, Janet Yellen, everything's fine. My part two conversation with William Jacobson next.
In part one of my conversation with William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, LegalInsurrection.com, discussing this indictment of President Trump that uh, took place in Georgia. Uh, I, I, he, he started engaging a conversation about how the president, let's say somebody else were elected president, they can't even pardon him. The difference between state and federal law and what is it that the president can actually do and not do. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. But I also want to get in uh, the conversation with William Jacobson about the idea of a defense. The Georgia indictment is different than everything else. And certainly there is the conversation that, as I've been discussing, that you're basing it on text messages. You're basing it on uh, um, uh, phone calls. You're basing it on things that actually happen. So you can argue there's certainly more of a basis to this case than there would be to the January 6th indictment of special counsel Jack Smith or the Alvin Bragg case. It would be closer in line to what you see from the classified documents conversation at Mar-a-Lago, which, by the way, anybody with classified documents should be charged with a crime, except President Trump may have rights that those other people don't have. This one is different. So I wanted to get into that with William Jacobson. Exactly how different is it? But first things first, did I hear properly about this idea of no pardon? This looks like Uh, You know, Georgia is trying to create a backstop that if for some reason the federal suit against Trump fails, that Georgia will be waiting there as a second shot at him. And that is extremely troubling. Of this, sir, there, there's no doubt. You know, I, I did take a look at, at how this was set up and took a look at the idea that there was actually more data here by which one could build a case against Trump if, if one was so inclined and see that as different than uh, the special counsel's case or the Alvin Bragg case and more similar to the indictment regarding classified documents uh, at, at Mar-a-Lago. But I think for many people, this smells like and looks like like the Hail Mary kind of kind of uh, cause. But you said something I just want to make sure I heard clearly. Did you just say the president of the United States couldn't pardon somebody if they were found guilty of a RICO violation in Georgia? Correct. A presidential pardon power does not extend to state law crimes, to state crimes. Okay. I think for a lot of people, their heads just exploded. I think for a lot of people, they're yeah, not. I, I don't think that's controversial. I think no, no. I'm just saying they ori- didn't make the connection. Original, it's not original to me. People have been pointing this out for a while that the presidential pardon power extends to crimes against the United States, to federal crimes. Uh, you know, whether because this was a federal election, a court might interpret it more broadly. I don't know. Um, you know, but I don't think so. So, and and that is the whole thing that people have been saying is that the the next president, um, Ron DeSantis, will not be able to save um, Donald Trump from the Georgia jury. Could save him from the Miami jury and from the D.C. jury, but not the Manhattan or George or Fulton County or Atlanta juries. And that again is I, w- I want to come back to this. You have. Local district attorneys who are completely political people in jurisdictions that in Manhattan is approaching 100 percent Democrat and in Atlanta, I think, is 70 or 75 percent Democrat jury pools um, 
who are going after a Republican, or at least in Atlanta, uh, going after a Republican candidate for the presidency for allegedly interfering with a federal election for which he has already been charged by the federal government. Uh, it's unseemly, uh, and I think it really is tearing at the fabric of the country. I think I see a, this is another step in the separation of the country so, between red and blue. So two questions. First, um, not being a lawyer, I may be asking it wrong, but conceptually go with me. The uh, county uh, DA engaging this on a state level for a federal crime, that isn't a double jeopardy conversation. Certainly he hasn't been tried once and therefore tried again, but there, there isn't any level of statute that prevents this from happening? No, because they're two separate, and I'm forgetting what the term is. It's more than jurisdictions. There are two separate sovereigns, I think, is the term that's used. One is the federal and one is the state. So you can be just like we've seen uh, in a number of criminal trials that the feds will swoop in investigating and possibly charging for federal crimes for the same murder or assault that someone has been either charged with or vindicated with at the state level. I mean, look at the George Floyd case where Chauvin uh, was charged and convicted of murder in the state. And then the feds came in and charged him with federal civil rights violations for the very same actions. So no, you can have separate charges at the state and federal level for the same crime. In, 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 while well, we still have like a minute, uh, sir, and I appreciate taking the time, William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, be sure to check out legalinsurrection.com. If you were advising uh, Trump, and I'm not saying that you are, if you were advising Trump, what's the defense? How, what is the way you handle the, these charges? What do you expect to see his lawyers doing? Well, uh, you know, I, I assume they will file motions with the trial court contesting perhaps whether the RICO requirements have even been met here, uh, whether there was really a criminal enterprise, whether there was they've alleged cohesiveness enough to do that. Uh, but it's going to be tough. He's, he's not going to be able to get these thrown out in all likelihood, and he's going to have to go to trial. Of course, the other vice of all of these charges is they're taking place in a election year. And other than the Mar-a-Lago charges, because the Mar-a-Lago stuff took place only a year ago, every single one of these things, Alvin Bragg is seven-year-old actions. Um, DC and Atlanta are almost three-year-old actions. These all could have easily been brought a year ago. We would have had the trials by now. We would have known the evidence. This is political interference, not because they brought charges, but because of the timing of the charges, or I should say not only because they brought charges, but the, but timing. the timing. These the were charge. timed to interfere in the Republican primaries and interfere in the general election. They could have and should have been brought, if at all, over a year ago. And that's part of the problem here. And that's why a lot of people are so upset. And the people who are so upset are not just Trump supporters and not just Trump voters. Uh, People who support DeSantis see this as a complete manipulation. Until Alvin Bragg brought his charges in March, the Republican race was relatively close. I think it was 12 or 13 points between Trump and DeSantis. It had narrowed dramatically in the months leading up to that. 
Alvin Bragg brings his indictment, all of a sudden Trump's up 30, 35 percent because of a rally around effect. And it's and he's never had to look back. So the Democrat prosecutors are handing him the Republican nomination and they're doing it in a way which is so manipulative because these charges will then be used against him in the general election and make him unlikely unelectable. We'll get into conversations about 5D chess and who this helps and who this doesn't as these things uh, play out. William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com. I appreciate taking the time. And there is just, there's so much to dig into here, but I, I do find myself, while I understand the argument of there's an actual basis here, the phone calls, the messages, etc. This does, it, it looks like the kitchen sink uh, uh, approach. Throw everything, try everyone together, hope to grab someone on something and therefore catch Trump because that's all that matters. It, I, I get it. It's obscene. What we're witnessing, what we're watching, wholly, totally, completely obscene. It is what it is, what it is, what it is, what it is. Good Lord. Good Lord. Um, Look, I said they were going to put Trump in jail uh, regarding the January 6th stuff. I'm not saying they should. I'm saying that's what they're going to do. They're going to put Trump in jail over the January 6th stuff. That's going to happen. Uh, this more so. This more so, and I love this. Uh, it was, um, oh, what's his name? His name's eluding uh, uh, me. Uh, uh, oh, um, Dick Morris. Did you hear this from Dick Morris over there at uh, uh, former uh, Clinton East and then uh, moved over to the Fox News world and now with Newsmax? Um, this, this was him on what was going to happen with Trump. Let's just fast forward a touch. What's going to happen is that Trump is indicted now in Fulton County and in Washington, D.C., and he's going to be convicted. There's going to be a biased jury pool. We already know there's a biased prosecutor uh, in Washington County. The Washington, D.C., Hunter Biden's law partner is the judge, uh, but and he's going to go to prison, and he will be elected from prison president. It will not make any difference at all. Now, I don't think he has it on the second part. It's possible. I just don't see it as probable. I don't see that the Republican Party will actually be there in toto, but that's going to be our conversation. Um, yeah, Trump's going to go to jail. Not saying he should. Not saying that this isn't the ugliest stuff we have ever seen, a manipulation of the republic. We, it, 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 this is going to be studied in textbooks. When Trump says this is a dark period, absolutely true. And I'm not excusing some of Trump's activities. I'm discussing this. The people who are down with this, these are not people who are down with the republic. And I am was told, according to Article 4, Section 4 of the U.S. Constitution, I was guaranteed a republic form of government. So I have the form, but I have all this misrepresent, misrepresentation, all this ugliness, all this disease. There's no part of this that brings any good. There are only real problems that come from this. Real problems that come from this. You know it and I know it. And man, I don't want to see it. But they really, really want it, don't they? God. Good Lord. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz today. Man, 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 man.
Now, Peyton Manning has uh, become a uh, professor. I'll, I'll get to that. But Representative Cori Bush, the progressive, the one who made her bones, talking about Michael Brown and Ferguson and hands up, don't shoot. Yeah, that never happened. And Michael Brown wasn't a gentle giant. Michael Brown attacked a cop. Michael Brown tried to steal a cop's gun. Michael Brown broke the orbital socket of a cop. That according to the Eric Holder Justice Department. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. And Cori Bush was out there screaming, hands up, don't shoot. And then a few years later, she's a member of Congress. And as a member of Congress, she has been a giant bigot. A progressive, I mean, a full-on commie and a bigot. That's who she is. And this is a woman who uh, says you shouldn't be allowed to own a firearm, but she can spend Untold amounts of dollars to uh, have security, including paying her husband uh, for that security. This happens a lot. People know how to work those rules. Take the money and then pay off this one, pay off that one. And Maxine Waters is paying her kid and this one's paying her kid. Republicans do it too. It's insane. But the idea that they get to teach. Corey Bush made $15,000 teaching a course at George Mason University, the public pedagogy of truth and reparations. It focuses on, quote, truth-telling processes and, and I'm quoting, state-sponsored violence against African-Americans and other targeted groups. This, according to the school, in a news release. You're going to pay Corey Bush $15,000 to have a course, to teach a course on reparations? So we've now found a new way to do campaign contributions without having to worry about those pesky limits. Corey Bush on reparations. There's a course on reparations. You understand that Cory Bush has introduced a reparations pr- proposal that is $14 trillion. Best of luck. Best of luck. Um, I'll pay it if it means I never have to hear your grievance and sanity again. See, I don't want to forget history. I want to teach history. I want to teach the good, the great, the bad, and the ugly of American history. I want it all. And when we teach slavery, I want to teach about the United States' role in slavery. And then I want to teach about slavery and the slave trade the world over. And then I want to teach about who was selling whom into the slave trade. Brothers who sold brothers and brothers who sold sisters and cousins who sold uncles, etc., 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 etc. The horror of thinking you can do this to other human beings. I want to teach it all. Now, if paying reparations means I never have to hear Cory Bush again, I could be interested in that. But that's, of course, not what the deal is. And this has been my argument on reparations since the very beginning. How does Cori Bush, Representative Bush, how does she make a deal on reparations that will satisfy future generations? If it's all about getting money and the money gets distributed 
What about future generations? Every generation for forever will get paid? Huh. Yeah, it's not going to work for a whole bunch of people. It's not going to work for people who are Hispanic. It's not going to work for people who just got to the country. It's not going to work. But hey, keep pushing it. Best of luck to you. And while you can't get that done, congratulations on the side hustles, teaching reparations and getting $15,000. This is George Mason giving a campaign contribution. It's what it is. We should ask ourselves if that should be allowed. I mean, we can uh, demand certain regulations on our members of Congress. Oh, they won't vote for it because they regulate themselves. They're a true democracy. Remember, we are a representative uh, government, right? Uh, we're, we're a republic. They are a true democracy. They are true one man, one vote. And they set their own rules. But certainly we should be asking ourselves, why do they have such a good deal? We should want to change their deal. My view. And anybody who had to sit through a course taught by Representative Cory Bush, that should be someone who should get their money back. Or or was everybody there because they wanted to be? Oh, that's even worse. I'm Tony Katz.